Support for this podcast comes from Smartwater. Want to get a little more from every sip? Smartwater Alkaline doesn't just taste crisp and pure. It's loaded with everything you need to perform at your best, whether you're running marathons or boardroom meetings. Elevate how you hydrate and pick up a Smartwater Alkaline today. To learn more, visit drinksmartwater.com. Chicago Bears cap analysis with both a short-term look at the 2020 roster as well as a long-term view of the state of the franchise overall. It's all coming at you on this episode of Bear With Me. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to Bear With Me, a Chicago Bears podcast hosted by yours truly, Robert Schmitz, right here on the Windy City Gridiron Podcasting Network. And I've got an interesting topic for you today, because while last week I know I rambled on about the future of the Bears and the direction of the franchise and whether Mitch or Nick Foles was going to be the starter, today I've brought on one of my favorite guests, cap analyst Brad Spielberger from Over the Cap, which, by the way, that's the only spot you should be checking for contracts. I'm not kidding. Track gets it wrong all the time, and way too many people end up embarrassed when they go and get Track numbers. You've got to be on Over the Cap. But I wanted to bring Brad on because there's a polar opposite GM sort of thing happening in the NFC North right now, and I think it's so interesting because if you look at the 2020 rosters, the Bears might be one of the best in division. In fact, I think I could confidently say they are. And the Vikings took a big step back. But on the other hand, Rick Spielman has, I wouldn't say he's mortgaged 2020, but he's definitely made some sacrifices in the current year so that he can push out some serious cap resources and draft resources into the future. And the Vikings could potentially retool and find themselves on the forefront of the division in year or in the next coming years. And it's a totally separate approach. And I wanted to get from you, Brad, a solid conversation going on what the difference is between a football team taking what they can now, doing what the Bears did, where they have tons of players across the roster. Let me name a few. Upgrading Leonard Floyd to Robert Quinn, I think we can all agree that's a huge win. Take the dollars off the table, just look at the players. Robert Quinn is a dramatically better pass rusher than Leonard Floyd, who is one of the worst in the league. And when you can replace one of your biggest holes on an already good defense, with one of the best players in the league for only a little bit more, in theory, that looks great. I mean, Leonard Floyd commanded, I think, $12 million, and Quinn commands about 16 mil per year. So again, in that 2020 tunnel vision, that seems like a no-brainer. That's what you'd want to do, especially with the player on the field. But I know you've talked about this before. That's effectively a three-year deal for a 30-year-old player with a lot of unusual injuries on his ledger and again I think that's a great microcosm for a lot of what the Bears did they signed Danny Trevathan who I think is still a better linebacker than Roquan Smith for better or for worse he, the guy is awesome his intangibles are fabulous and they signed uh I keep wanting to call him Quentin Demps it's not it's Deshaun Gibson number 39 comes from the Texans you can see where I'm getting tripped up they're signing a whole bunch of players that are really solid ads but the money is complex. So I want you to talk us through it. How is the Bears cap situation? Do they belong on the bottom left corner on all these graphs that I know we see from analysts and cap resources? And what are the complications? But what are they getting? Sure. So, you know, I think, first of all, um, 
you know, it may seem as though sometimes I'm suggesting there's one correct way to go about things. And I do want to clarify that I, I don't believe that and, and teams don't believe that and they shouldn't. Um, the nature of the beast is that there are a couple positions, obviously quarterback kind of mainly being, being that, you know, premier position where depending on if you have your guy or not is kind of how you should allocate resources around that person uh, for the rest of your roster. Right. And, and so, you know, I also think that, so on top of the traditional, you know, rookie, uh, rookie QB or rookie contract quarterback, we've all heard about that now ad nauseum. Um, there's also teams, you know, you hear about the saints and their precarious cap, cap situation. And, you know, even me as a cap analyst would say, yeah, they're in a, they're in a, bad place long term but if you have a drew Brees, you know one of the best quarterbacks to ever play the game it doesn't really matter you should just kind of throw caution to the wind because what's the point in not going all out when you have that type of player the issue is that the bears basically are are in that kind of they're in that tier of, of spending and they're grouped together with those teams except for they don't have a quarterback on the roster that we know for a fact is a prolonged good consistent starter for multiple years so you know, we're talking about short-term and long-term. And so I also have said consistently, and I agree, that for 2020, I'm not worried about the Bears' on-field product to an extreme degree. You know, I, I have questions about the offense, as everyone should. Um, they had a bad offensive line last year, and there's no there's no uh, evidence it's going to be any better. Um, I, I think it will be with new coaching and with them being able to rely on their quarterback at least knowing what he's doing. And so that will help them with their assignments and kind of just help them mentally which I think it's obvious to see the offensive line is a very cerebral position. Um, but so you have that. You don't really upgrade your weapons. You know, again, I know we all say tight end couldn't have been worse. It truly couldn't have. Um, and Graham will be better than what they had, but, you know, how much better, who knows. Um, and, you know, and, and the receiving core is kind of the same. So, but, but anyways, yeah, the defense should be a, a top five defense in the NFL. I, I don't think it's biased at all to suggest that. Um you know, as you mentioned, first and foremost, you know, the big signing of the offseason, which took me as a complete surprise, um, heard nothing about it, um, was, of course, Robert Quinn. Again, great player the last couple seasons, um, you know, undeniable, great pressure rate, getting after the quarterback. And like you've discussed that, you know, at length this offseason, um, you know, just makes it so hard for defenses to ever, you know, give extra attention to a single player because you can't. Um so from that perspective, it's like, you know, if you want to allocate a ton of resources to your defensive front seven, other smart teams do it. I mean, the Eagles do it. Uh, you know, teams are doing it. and It's not, you know, there's a whole debate about coverage and all that, but teams are doing it. And so that's fine. But the issue comes into, so here's one quick stat for you. So if you look at 2021 cap space, so follow next year's cap space, which again is a projection and a lot of things can change from now to then. The Bears are, if you break it down by basically the space they have, but then divided by the amount of guys they need to, to fill out the roster to get it to 53, right? They would be fourth from the bottom in the NFL. So they'd, be, they'd rank 28th, or no, excuse me, 20, 29th in the NFL in 2021 cap space because they have 36 guys under contract. But here's the thing. The bottom five teams are as follows. The Steelers with Ben Roethlisberger, who's top five QB money. Then the Bears, 29th. 30th is the Falcons with Matt Ryan, who's top five in QB money. 31st is the Saints with Drew Brees. And 32nd is the Eagles. So as I mentioned, when you have a quarterback making $30 million a year that you know is going to be your guy for the next several years, or I guess for Steelers and, and Brees, 
Um, you know, for, for Roethlisberger and Breeze, you're kind of just going all in before those guys retire. It's fine. When you're the Bears and in 2021, you don't have a quarterback you know is going to be your starter under contract. You don't have a, a wide receiver that is a proven good player under contract because Allen Robinson is currently only on the roster for 2020. And you might have to replace both of your right tackle and left tackle. Um, and you're still that low in 2021 cap space. I mean, run through the list again. The Steelers have a good offensive line. They have good receivers. They, the Falcons have Julio Jones, good offensive line. It struggled last year, but you know they have pieces at offensive line. The Saints have probably the best offensive line in football. They have Michael Thomas, and the Eagles have probably the next best offensive line in football, and they have Ertz and all you know all these guys. So they kind of have a justification for being in that position. Whereas the Bears, your entire offense is a question mark, and you're already that low. That's scary. Makes total sense to me, and not to mention just to throw another perspective at things. When it comes to the Saints or the Steelers, I mean, if they have an implosion moment post-Ben Roethlisberger or post-Drew Brees, no one's going to care. I mean, the Mavs had the same thing with Dirk Nowitzki, just to give a basketball example. Between Dirk and Luka, they were bad, and nobody minded. Because when you lose your premier starter at a premier position in any sport, everybody expects a step back. Nobody's looking at the Patriots expecting a Super Bowl this year. That's how it goes. They don't have another quarterback aside from Stidham, if memory serves, on the roster at this moment. And again, that's fine because they just had years of Tom Brady and we give them a little bit of slack for that sort of thing. And it makes for an interesting conversation when it comes to the Bears because, and this just dawned on me, gosh, maybe five minutes ago, you know, they're almost treating their defense as if their defense is the quarterback. In terms of the spending, in terms of how they're pumping into it, the Bears really believe that this defense is going to be what carries them. And look, we could debate whether that'll work. There's a lot of evidence to suggest that it won't. The Bills have done that for years. They've made the playoffs with some uh, very rickety teams in terms of offenses, but have they won a Super Bowl? Not necessarily. But again, let's stay positive as much as we can because the Bears' situation, it's precarious but what I think is most interesting is that it's vulnerable. That's the word that keeps coming to my mind. If everything goes well for the Bears, you know what? They could have a really nice 2020 and potentially lay a foundation for some solid regular season winning between 2020, 2021, 2022, 2023. Again, this is everything goes well. They could slowly ebb the bad contracts off the roster. They could retool with the first-round picks that they aren't trading away anymore. Thank you, Ryan Pace, for not, not doing that. Uh, and they could, they could set things up well. But you mentioned the Bears having to replace the right and left tackles. And I like Charles Leno. I made an entire video about him. But he, so Bobby Massey's two years older than him. I saw a graph when I was doing research from uh, Leno that says that tackles start to really fall off around 30 years old and Leno's 29 so Massey who's 31 years old oh boy the regression from last year doesn't seem like it's going to come back up it could get worse Leno is right about to enter that region and that's before we even talk about the fact that we're counting on a Seahawks lineman who is much maligned and people are going all the way back to tape from three years ago to step in and fill a hole at right guard and we're expecting James Daniels to have some massive step forward after what is slowly becoming a topic of conversation to say that his 2019 just wasn't that great. So if the Bears are stuck with one good offensive lineman on their roster with almost no cap space, you already mentioned it. Most of these other teams have at least the line figured out. 
the bears kind of don't. So I can see how things get complicated really, really quickly, even at just that one position, let alone if the bears lose Akeem Hicks or he doesn't return well from his injury. If Danny Trevathan, who is under contract, including void years until 2025, goes from a broken arm to similar to Charles Tillman, just another injury after another injury after another injury, things could fall apart in a hurry if players not only don't play well or they just get hurt and they they aren't there and able to fill the spots. I don't know. I can completely see how if this was a chessboard, the Bears seem to be pushing everything at the opponent's king right now and almost leaving pieces wide open at least that's how it occurs to me is that how you're seeing things yeah no 100 percent. i think it's almost like like you said you you expose your back line by just continuing to go on the offense right like you would continue to attack 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 because you've kind of come to the conclusion of like we can't recede we don't have the the resources i'm trying to keep this analogy going as long as possible but to kind of you know to, to circle back regroup regather recharge and and, and go at it again it's kind of the last push and you know i think i should say too like we're talking about if things go well yes like things like they it could look all right you know let's say Foles plays really well let's say castillo works his magic in the offense of offensive lines top half of the nfl that, that, and they'll, they'll be okay for this year. I still think it, there'll be a lot of issues to, to address, but maybe they address them correctly. They have some more draft capital and all that. But, but the thing that I think I stress more, and maybe I'm an eternal pessimist, is, as you mentioned, very easily, like, like not even hard to find, it could go so bad where it, it's not even debatable to say that it, they're in the worst position in the NFL, right? Where it's basically like, from a, from a perspective of the talent you have, versus the resources you have to fix said talent, you know, issue, it's like 32 by a landslide. And that is within the realm of possibilities. And it, it, it's, it's got a large probability attached to that. And so that's the things I look at where, you know, I shouldn't always be doom and gloom. I, I should be optimistic that things can go right. But if you look at the spectrum of the, the potential, you know, their potential of being literally the rest of the league saying the, the team I would like to take over, you know, if you could be GM tomorrow of any team and you rank that list, the Bears being 32 on that list, it's very, very probable, not probable, it's very possible that that is the scenario. And so that stuff's it's scary. Um, and, and the thing there is you mentioned draft capital, which is great. Um, that They finally have first round picks again. I, I, again, I, with all the data and analytics and all that, I still am not going to sit here and say I wouldn't make that trade for Khalil Mack. I understand all the arguments for it. I play devil's advocate and try to shed light on why people say that all the time. Um, end of the day, those players don't come available. So, you know, if they're, if they are available, it's hard for me to knock a guy. You simply don't see trades for players of that caliber. It's, it happens like once a decade. So, um, and on top of his talent level, he's obviously, you know, a great guy to have in the locker room, the culture when he got there, everything turns around. Um, so I, I just I personally won't knock that while I understand all the arguments against it. But as you said, I thought a very interesting point you made was that they're treating their defense like like the quarterback. It's actually if you literally look at okay, Khalil Max APY is $23 million, and Robert Quinn's is now $14 million a year. Thirty-seven million dollars to the quarterback room is actually like a, a, a regular kind of you know NFL allocation, right? Maybe it's thirty and seven versus twenty-three and fourteen, but that's like pretty much what it looks like. And you're giving that to two edge rushers, of course, extremely valuable position. Will always be in the top three or four most important positions in football. I'm not debating that, but 
you know, are they worth that that dollar amount? I, no. Like, I'm not even going to say probably not. No. Like, you can't really justify $37 million on average to two players that, you know, that, that do one thing and that if an offense does quick passing, quick outs with, you know, two seconds until the ball's out of your hand are effectively neutralized, that's not worth $37 million. So. Well, it's funny. You've given me so many things to talk about. I'll try to see if I can't cover them all. So you've always brought this up. I know I've brought this up in my Robert Quinn study that the Dallas Cowboys had both Demarcus Lawrence and Robert Quinn. I mean, that's about as good as you can ask for. Demarcus Lawrence, he was just as productive as Quinn. Uh, Not quite. Quinn was absolutely astoundingly productive in 2019, like almost unmatchably productive. But Demarcus Lawrence was right at max level. And that didn't really help the Dallas defense, who was Byron Jones and a bunch of other guys, and because their secondary just couldn't make the plays. It's wild how much defense is a unit, because if the Bears lose Kyle Fuller or Jalen Johnson ends up hurt or just not that great, the Bears could end up suffering the same fate that tons of these other great edge rushing defenses do, which is quick outs kill them. I mean, we saw up close and personal in 2018 what it looks like to lose one safety and have your entire defense's strategy just go out the window. Because when Eddie Jackson couldn't play, Adrian Amos just couldn't fill his shoes. Not a lot of people can. Eddie Jackson is well worth the money that he's being paid. And one thing that I'll just throw out, and Brad can talk about this if he wants to, is that Eddie Jackson was way more value when he wasn't paid. That doesn't make him not worth the money. That doesn't mean that somehow you don't want to pay a player like Eddie Jackson. But it does mean that going forward, Eddie Jackson, in terms of roster value, it changes a little bit. Again, doesn't mean you don't want him. You pay good players. That's the name of the game in football. You don't want to not pay good players and then pay bad players because you're going to pay somebody, kind of. But moving on from that, uh, Eddie Jackson is somebody that you want on your roster. And when you're 23, 21, whatever it is, 20-ish million dollar safety isn't on the field, that becomes really problematic. Now, another thing that you mentioned that I think we just, we kind of have to talk about it is you talked about draft capital. You talked about how poor a situation the Bears' uh, future prospects are. And one thing I think is kind of funny is Bears are left waving the flag and celebrating just how nice our draft capital situation is when all we've done is kind of get back to neutral. Like, we're not under. We're just back at regular. A lot of other teams, like the Vikings, are accumulating multiple first-round picks, multiple second-round picks, multiple third, fourth, fifth, sixth. And despite the fact that Ryan Pace has shown a propensity at being outstanding in the fourth, fifth, sixth round, that hasn't really pushed him to accumulate more of those picks, and you'd almost wish he did. I mean, one, one of the ways you talked about this, about being an eternal pessimist, I don't think you're being fair to yourself, because what I want to do is I want to lay out the theoretical path forward for the Chicago Bears, I want you to tell me how realistic this is, Brad. Okay, so 2020, nobody gets hurt. Foles throws for 4,000 yards. Bears put up a pretty good season. They they beat the first person in the divisional round. They go to the championship round. They lose. They have a Titans year. That's what happens. Tariq Cohen, he rebounds because why wouldn't he? Da- David Montgomery, 1,200 yards. Offensive line, pretty good overall. They bounce back. Okay, so we move into 2021. We draft some bangers, like first round, right tackle, he's good. Second round, right guard, he's really good. Charles Leno, he's good for two more years. He just sticks around. 
Allen Robinson. He gets paid, but but not as much as you might think. Not Amari Cooper level, no. He just he just takes the same money that he had, so that the cap situation doesn't change too much. Third, fourth round, we we keep going, we keep drafting people, and we have to move into 2022 before I even fully fix the offensive line. I could keep trying to to play out this scenario because, of course, it involves drafting the next Akeem Hicks, who's one of the most disruptive linemen in the NFL. I mean, he doesn't get talked about, about how he's in that almost Aaron Donald class. People won't put those names together, but his 2018 season was that good. But you're going to see pretty quickly that I'm basically going to have to say that every single draft pick is a knockout. I mean, every draft pick is super good. And I, I just want to toot Brad's horn for a little bit. He has studied every single draft pick, every single trade, everything about the draft. And I'll go ahead and turn it over to you because I know you've got a verdict on it. Let me just tee it up for you. Can you beat the draft, Brad? Well, a lot, a lot there as well, and I'll try to chew all the meat off that bone. But, I mean, data suggests that you cannot beat the draft. Uh, and this goes back before even the timeline I researched. You know, I read, obviously, in preparation of, of our book, um, other analyses going back to the 90s. I think one even went to the mid-80s. Um, there is no evidence at any point in the NFL that a team basically was consistently for a multiple, for, for a stretch of time superior than other teams at drafting, right? It is inherently random. There are teams that are better at it. It's not, a, you know, obviously, Ravens, Cowboys, to name a few, they they tend to find better talent overall. But in terms of the margin of that, you know, betterness than the other teams, it's not big enough to basically allow you to kind of mess things up in, in so many other areas. And so I'll try to kind of answer or kind of touch on a lot of what you just mentioned. So... I think first I, I wanted to respond to Eddie Jackson piece because I do think some people think that I basically want to pay like no one and just want like a, a roster full of just like rookie, like just like a hundred draft picks and like no one making more than like $800,000 a year, which is probably a, th- a fair thing to see. Cause I obviously probably knock more deals than I, than I laud, but no, you, if you have an Eddie Jackson, you pay that player. He is an elite safety. What he's good at ball hawking is in, extremely valuable. And there's no reason to, to doubt that he will can be able to continue there for a couple more years. Like that, that contract, it's number one in the NFL at safety, 14.6 million a year, and I have zero qualms about it whatsoever. Um, and I would do it, you know, ten times out of ten. But the issue is uh, now tying into the draft is that, as you mentioned, it's it's a simple reality of an Eddie Jackson getting paid seven hundred thousand dollars in 2018 and doing what he did is like one of the most valuable, you know, on a per dollar basis, one of the most valuable players in the NFL. Now, when A. Jackson making uh, this 2020 is actually still cheap. It's kind of the last year of his rookie deal, technically. But then it, you know, balloons to you know I think 11 million in 2021. But anyways, even still, then that player not only does he have to play at the same level to justify the money. The second piece is more important. You now have to find the next Eddie Jacksons to fill out the rest of your roster that are producing at a high level for cheap again. And the thing is, is that's why you knock, you know, all the all the trading way of the draft picks is that the funny thing about it is not only are you looking for studs and trying to find your next Eddie Jackson, but also your Adrian Amoses, your, your Jordan Howards, the, your, your Nick Kwiatkowski's, just guys that can give you 40% of snaps in a season and they're not losing games for you is valuable. It's very valuable. And... When you have five draft picks a year for the last three or four years, none of them in the first round for the last couple of years, you know, no second last year because of the Anthony Miller trade, 
no third, you know, because the David Montgomery or excuse me, fourth. And now there's, they're going to have no fourth again next year because they already traded it away to, to a division rival Vikings, which will, will bring ourselves back to that kind of comparison as well. But when you keep doing that, you're, lo- you're just losing the opportunity to find value. Um, and yeah, and so your beautiful, you know, gorgeous scenario um, of all these wonderful things breaking right and everything going according to plan, it can happen in like a, in a single year. Um, I mean, like look at the Saints, you know, obviously where Ryan Pace comes from. That 2017 class, when you land Lattimore, Ramchick, Kamara, um, Marcus Williams, like that literally changes your entire trajectory of your roster and your team. Um, it's almost funny. Like if you ask me if they if they have a bad draft class that year, I think Breeze is retired. I think Sean Payton is like this the OC for the Cowboys. Like I genuinely think like things are drastically different in New Orleans. So it can happen, but obviously you know it's not. You can't bank on it. Um, but yeah, I mean, you need you need that. That's the thing is that that's the scary part is you kind of need one of those classes to happen, um, or you need a lot of the guys that they drafted this year to turn into players. And we talked about this a little bit, you know, off 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 record. But you also need your last two draft classes, your 2018 and 2019 class, to not just be contributors, but not become guys. Like you need Anthony Mona to be a bona fide NFL number two wide receiver. You need James Daniels to get back to 2018 levels of play and be a a plus player on your, the interior of your offensive line, you know, on and on and on and on. We can name a bunch of guys. And, and so it could happen. I hope it does. I, those two guys, I think there's, there's definitely a possibility they get back to form and play well with a full, um, you know, full season with, with, with a better quarterback and all those things. But you're just, you're relying on so many things going right that at a certain point it, it's like, it's not really realistic for that many things to hit. Um, yeah. And so that's, when I critique things like, like draft picks and like that, is I'm not saying that he's going to 100% guarantee if he has more picks, he's going to draft the next Lawrence Taylor. I'm not saying that, but the likelihood is higher. And, and I'm a numbers guy. If you say you have a 10% chance versus a 15% chance, I'm banging the table for 15% chance because that's that's what I do. It makes total sense to me to bring it back to chess because this analogy is going to work, I promise. I've been watching a ton of it recently, and namely, I've been watching kind of low-ish level chess with Grandmaster Commentary. And one of the more interesting things that they talk about is the difference between making a good move and anticipating your opponent making a bad one. The point being, I think we can split this up. The moves that you make, the moves that Ryan Pace makes, the moves to protect his bishop or force a pawn or create a fork with a knife, which basically means to anybody who doesn't really know chess, you put your knight in a position where often he is threatening two pieces. Say he's threatening the opposing bishop and the opposing queen. That's considered a fork. So you're going to get the bishop. You're going to win that because he's going to protect his queen. It makes tons of sense. Well, the difference between you making a good move and the opponent blundering, which is what it sounds like, and you benefit off of it, is kind of similar, I think, to the difference between trading away something like a second-round pick and a fourth-round pick, which is what the Bears did to, quote-unquote, draft Anthony Miller a year early, which at the time I really agreed with. And I still love Miller the player. He's one of my favorite players on this roster. So don't think I'm coming down on Miller himself. But we did sacrifice a body, a human being, out of the fourth round that could have been on the Bears roster for the privilege of having Anthony Miller a year early. And whether it's because of Trubisky or because of injury or just because of whatever it is, Anthony Miller is not one of the top 10 receivers in the NFL. I know. Weird benchmark. It's the first thing that came to my head. But 
it reminds me of the difference between making a good move in chess and your opponent blundering. You can't control the opponent. You can't control a lot of the variance in the world of football and the way players will and won't develop. But you can make the best moves possible. And if they screw up or if something breaks your way, sure, pick it up. Benefit from it. Absolutely. But protect your pieces. Protect your draft capital. Accumulate what you can. Create the cap space possible such that if, like you're saying, you just happen to nail four draft picks in a row like the 2017 Saints did, then there you go. You are launched into contention immediately. And I want you to talk a little bit about that, not only just resource management, but how how easy it is for the Vikings to be good, basically, in the future, partially because of what they're doing. Because as Stephon Diggs, I mean, I think trading Diggs was a, a great move, getting what they got for him. I mean, it, this is just my opinion. I know Diggs is a great receiver. I think he's awesome. But understanding that paying him was going to be complicated and being able to get from him what they did I mean, that's the kind of move that sets you up for the future when you know that your now isn't quite good enough to beat Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, and Tyree Kill all in a line, which, I mean, how many can right now? Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown with three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown. You get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at Wilmington and beaches Absolutely. Yeah, no. So I think that one interesting thing I thought of there, when you're talking about chess, which is one-on-one, another thing that I think that we as Bears fans, I've now seen more people kind of make fun of this line, which he says every draft, which is he has to go get his guy. Um, And I think fans finally started to realize, like, teams are going to fall in love with guys in their draft board. But understanding that, like we talked about, the draft is random, things happen, things may not break your way. The patience that comes with just waiting can be so valuable, and you might even end up getting a better guy as well. So, um, but here's but here's off of that branch. Here's what I think his biggest issue is with strategy: is that Ryan Pace is always trying to build the best Bears roster humanly possible for right now, with not really a consideration of other teams around the league, and. By that I mean, let's say there's 32 countries in the United States, and on on today, on on June 20th of 2020, you know, wheat is the most important resource in the world, and the more wheat you have, the more valuable you are. So the U.S. goes out and acquires as much wheat as humanly possible, but 10 days later, we start realizing that you know, or or you know, another resource is also really valuable too, and. Some teams are sitting back and saying, we're going to ha- we're going to stockpile some of this, some of that. We're going to we're going to look at the landscape of the other countries and see what they're doing. But the Ryan is a bizarre analogy, but Ryan Pace is going to just keep stockpiling the most most valuable thing and not have any consideration for other you know outside issues. 
Whereas another country is going to say, well, let's think about it. If everyone's going after wheat and no one's going after ore, then ore is going to become more valuable in the future. So we should probably get some of that as well. And that doesn't seem to cross his mind. And so, you know, I have one quote in the entire 100-page book I wrote, and it's a quote from Bill Belichick from like 2003. And he says, he's getting interviewed, and they ask him kind of about his defensive, his base package on defense. And he says, when I got to New England, there were three teams in the NFL that ran a 3-4. He goes, it was the Patriots, once I got here, the Patriots, the Steelers, and one other team, you know, I'm blanking. And he goes, so, you know, 3-4 nose tackles were really cheap and really available. And he goes, and 3-4 outside linebackers were really cheap and really available. He goes, 4-3 defensive ends were the highest paid defensive players in the NFL. And interior, D, you know, 4-3 DTs, same thing. And so he goes, so I just said, yeah, we're going to run a 3-4, not because I knew how to run a 3-4 better, not because I preferred a 3-4, simply because there's 29 teams that are all paying for guys that do X. So I'm just going to find guys that do Y that are going to do it just as well as the guys doing X, but they're going to be cheaper. They're going to be more available, yada, 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 yada. So then he, you know, the, the quote ends with basically it's like it's like a twenty, it's like a two thousand ten quote talking about two thousand three. He says, "Now there's twenty teams in the NFL that all copied us. They're all running a four three because they think the secret sauce is running a, a three four. Excuse me. He says, no, the secret sauce is just zigging when everyone else zags. And and so that's the issue where I don't think he looks around the rest of the NFL landscape. Like I don't. Of course he understands market value. He wants to you know not overpay people for no reason. But I don't think he genuinely looks at like. You know, if this player is worth so much because of what they do production-wise, that's one thing. But if there's 20 other guys that can do it, then they're not as valuable. And so it's like stuff like that where I kind of look back and say, like, did he just pay based off of, like, production but not realize that, like, there's a guy out there that could give you 90% of that production for, you know, 10 cents on the dollar? That makes it a bad deal. And so stuff like that. So... What the Vikings seem to do is, and I honestly I wouldn't even give them as much credit really as, I mean, the Patriots, obviously, and I know, you know, a lot of them all day long, but, you know, the Ravens tend to do it. And, and a lot of other teams will basically, their roster construction model is predicated around you. They care as much about what everyone else is doing as what's happening inside their own building, because it's just value seeking, right? It's just basically finding areas where you're not you're not beating you're not trying to beat your own previous roster. You're trying to beat the rest of the league at finding the most valuable components to make up an NFL roster. Um, yeah, and that's just a key difference. And and the Vikings, you know, their strategy more is just stockpiling cheap assets because the only way you find a Stephon Diggs in the fifth round. I mean, they traded back in the fifth round and then drafted Stephon Diggs. So. You know, with stuff like that where – and then, I know, I'm rambling at this point. But, you know, to put a bow on it, Stephon Diggs trades, I think he's a phenomenal player. I, I think they're going to have, you know, some issues on offense, adjusting to having – feeling now getting full attention. And then, you know, Justin Jefferson, I guess, basically being thrust into the number two role right away. Um, but, yeah, they still got a great trade haul, even though teams – we've been joking since, like, 2017 that Stephon Diggs wants to get the hell out of Minnesota – and they still got a great return, knowing that not only he hated Minnesota, that he also is looking for a new extension tomorrow. And they still got a great return because they cut their losses. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And it's it's so interesting. I think you're really on to something when you talk about how Ryan Pace doesn't look around. Because as much as I have fallen in love with the West Coast offense, and as much as I think that Matt Nagy is the real deal when it comes to coaching, 
is there a better example of Ryan Pace prioritizing what he thinks he needs instead of what is potentially out there than what he paid for Trey Burton, who was an absolute unproven quantity? I mean, that is as much just you paid for the geode. You don't even know if gold's in there because he was looking for the next Zach Ertz. He needed that Travis Kelsey. It wasn't a matter of, hey, I have Lamar Jackson. He's probably not going to be able to run a Joe Flacco offense. So maybe we should figure something else out. I mean, kudos to John Harbaugh and what they're doing in the Ravens organization, because as much as, sure, in theory, we could have hired Matt Nagy to run John Fox's offense, I legitimately do think that that style of offense fits Mitch Trubisky better than a lot of people want to admit. But sticking to the, the point at play here, Ryan Pace said, we run a West Coast offense, we run a 3-4 defense, and I'm going to get the best players that I can to fit those systems. Despite the fact that case could be made, both of those systems are the most popular systems in the NFL today. Everybody's asking who the next West Coast quarterback is. In fact, you could make the argument that one of the most valuable deals made and debatably what won the Eagles the Super Bowl that they won in 2017 was them figuring out that there was this guy in Nick Foles who could run a West Coast system for nothing. They paid him, I'm looking at this, $1.6 million to sit on the bench and be the just-in-case solution that they ended up needing to win that Super Bowl. And now, as you can see, he showed it once, and Nick Foles has yet to be paid less than $10 million ever since then. And that is, it's a little weird because in 2020, it says on OTC that his cap number is 6.66 mil uh, for the next three years. But the point remains, Nick Foles is getting a lot of money because he proved he can run the most popular system in the NFL, or at least one of the more visible offensive systems in the NFL. It's really, really interesting you're, you're bringing that up because I think you're dead on. Ryan Pace ta almost like leans into what's hot, completely ignoring what demand is. And you can make the case the Jimmy Graham deal is just an extension of the same Trey Burton principle. 100%. Yeah, no, 100%. Yeah, no, Foles is 6'6", 2020, 6'6", 2021, and then 10.66 in 2022. So um, they, you know, as with every deal this offseason, they just pushed as much money to the future as possible. And, and so, you know, that's kind of the thing is that, again, I, I, I'm confident in 2020, but when you do a, you know, a 30,000 foot, you know, bird's eye view, that's when you, you can really poke, you know, I almost think of the SpongeBob scene where they're in a boat and the holes keep popping up. And as soon as you plug one hole, another one pops open. And that's just going to keep happening. They're going to be sitting there plugging holes, and new holes are going to be shooting out of the bottom of that boat. And it's going to be fun to watch them try to plug the holes in that boat. Yeah, I mean, I, I'll say it one more time, just to be absolutely certain that what we're trying to say is coming across. I really believe in this 2020 team. Maybe not Super Bowl believe, but I believe they can beat the Packers. I believe they can beat the Vikings. I believe that they can play the Lions tough, and I'll wait for the Lions because the Lions really are that person in chess. If you were going to make the chess analogy one final time, that they have shown that they can. Their roster construction is is actually, I think, better usually than a lot of people want to give them credit for. But the Lions is an organization that, I mean, ever since I've been following football in 2006, boy, have they just found a way to lose. I mean, I still remember when they were, what, 9-3 and three, uh, in, like, week 11, and then they went on a five or four-game losing streak with Calvin Johnson and Matt Stafford and a, a general lines team that was just popping off. And, and yeah, they finished 9-7. and seven. They lost. And, and it, it's just the Lions find inventive ways to blow things, so I'm going to put that one off for later. I just... 
I have to see it to believe it, that they are a really good September team, and that does worry me in week one. Won't get into that. Uh, the point, point is, is that I think this 2020 team can compete with tons of players. Outside of the Chiefs, who I think that somebody like Patrick Mahomes is exactly what you don't want on this Bears defense, or against any defense, really. I mean, we saw it took him three quarters of bad, and then he turned the lights on for one quarter and won a Super Bowl. But him aside, I mean, going up against San Francisco, I think the Bears have a shot. Going up against tons of teams, I think the Bears have a shot. And against most of those, that's what you're looking for. Let's let somebody else eliminate the Chiefs. It happens, uh, and we'll go try to play whoever eliminates them. Or or people get hurt, and, and it falls apart in a hurry. Or, or, or we play Mitch Trubisky for six games. He goes two and four, finally put in fulls. He loses two more. Now we're two and six, and regardless of what happens, it kind of doesn't matter. There's tons of decisions and situations you could look at where the Bears are either slow off the line or they fall apart when, let's say, Foles gets hurt week eight, out for three weeks uh, with some sort of like wrist contusion. I don't know, just totally making it up. And, and Trubisky comes in, go one and two. Maybe he goes two and one. Now is there a quarterback controversy? Are you sticking with Mitch? Good question. I don't know. It's You can see tons of different branching paths that lead to an even more hairy 2021 than we have in 2020. It, it's it's kind of wild, but we do have a firecracker 2020 season to look forward to before we get to any of that. Yeah, this season will not be boring. That That is for sure. Um, I think we can we can confirm that for sure. And I think that the thing is that they're, they're basically sticking to old school Bears football, you know, of, all, of my entire lifetime of that. This defense really should probably keep them in every single game they play. Granted, of course, if healthy. Um, and, and I think, as you said, which is very important, if you know, defense is a weak link unit, right? So, you know, if you have, I mean, I guess you could probably say the same for like an offensive line, but not really. If you have four really good offensive linemen, they can kind of cover up the deficiencies of, you know, one, um, you know, one bad lineman. But, you know, I think Jalen Johnson looks good, but I think he's had like three shoulder surgeries in the last like two years. He's going to have no camp or a shortened camp. And, you know, the defense under Pagano is probably for, for DBs is probably not a simple thing to run. Um, I think Tolliver is a giant question mark. He looked good at times last year, but I, you know, they obviously don't feel comfortable relying on him. They just, they just drafted his replacement, uh, top 50 in the draft. So it's a weak link position. And let's say, I mean, if, for, if Gibson and CB2 aren't good, the defense, it's going to be good. It'll still be top 10. I like, I think like something catastrophic needs to happen for it not to be top 10, but, but like keep you in every game. You know, basically like the 2018 version where it's like they were so good that basically like give us two offensive scores and like you, you have a, you have a shot to win this game. Um, you know, hopefully they have a kicker. That's, you know, we haven't gotten there yet. But, um, you know, God forbid, but, you know, let's not let's ignore that. Let's forget that. Uh, but yeah, so it's like you need that defense again where they're they're basically carrying you. And then my thing comes back to and we discussed this again off air, but that team will get you in the playoffs. A team in 2020, that team's not winning, you know, playoff games. Maybe one, maybe two. Um, but the old, the old adage of you know with the Bears, defense wins championships is is not a thing. Um, like you said, you need Pat Mahomes to turn it on for 15 minutes, and and games are over. I mean, he did it every playoff game, not just not just Super Bowl. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think they trickle, they could easily trickle in um, as a four through seven seed. I don't really – I mean, I, I, they could win the division. I, I have no issue seeing them winning the NFC North. Um, 
I really don't. I, I think it's a down year for the division. Um, normally one of the better divisions in the NFL. Um, you know, I, I think the Packers are going to regress hard. Uh, the Vikings are going to be good in the future, but just have so many new guys, new faces. And couple that with no offseason. I, I mean, <laughs> good luck to them in 2020. Um, but yeah, so. It's, it's so complicated and weird because I agree with you. It's not that I think that this Bears team is an A++++ or something in 2020. I just think that the usual top dogs of the division are taking a bit of a step back. I don't think it's ridiculous to say that the 2020 Packers have really, really 2019 Bears-y vibes. I mean, it, it happens. It's probably going to be a hot thing for a little bit. I know normally the rookie head coach comes in and has a solid season, and then he has a really good season in year two, but we're starting to kind of see the inverse a little bit with Sean McVay, who I understand he went to a Super Bowl pretty quickly, but things got worse after that with Matt Nagy. Matt LaFleur could very well fall in or follow in that footstep. I don't know. Don't need to talk about the Packers more than I have to. The point is, like you're talking about, the Bears have put together a pretty good football team. There is no foundation whatsoever at quarterback, which now more than ever is just taking over the league. I mean, for years, if you want a case study, go watch any Seattle Seahawks game, and you'll see a pretty rickety roster being held up by one of the best quarterbacks in the National Football League and consistently finding a way to end up above 500. I mean, sometimes despite all odds, way too many clips out there of Russell Wilson running for his life in the pocket only to find a 35 yard gain downfield. But to just keep this a little bears focused, it'll be interesting to see how they navigate things. It's super easy to screw this up. I think that's where you've you've talked me into. There are a whole bunch of gambles that they made on different things. This whole situation looks different. If Mitchell Trubisky is playing at, I mean, even Derek Carr's level, but let's say he's the consistent top nine quarterback in the NFL. He's ninth best. The whole roster looks different. Everything changes a lot in a hurry. Maybe they don't need to make some of the offseason signings that they did on defense because they feel confident in their quarterback. But as it stands, they've got a major hole there while they are also going to quickly have a right and left tackle problem. That's one that keeps coming up to me. It's sort of the three-headed Cerberus of this Bears team going forward is that right, left, and center, in the sense of quarterback, are all under serious threat. It'll be interesting to see how they manage this roster. But it I don't know. I don't want to see the house of cards fall down. As a Bears fan, I hate that. It would be the third time in like seven years if mem- or if we count John Fox, but hopefully it doesn't happen. Hopefully, hopefully Bears strike gold magic. It'd be, it'd be a lot of fun. I think that the, the question I kind of want to leave this with as well for listeners is kind of, because I've been wrestling with it kind of all off season, is that, you know, I, I do like to honestly push back on the notion of like, if you don't win a Super Bowl or, or maybe make a Super Bowl, like not only a season's a, a bust, but like, you know, a little spurt of trajectory of like, you know, you see teams with like, you know, again, the non-Patriots NFL. Like, all right, there's a three-year stretch where they're like, this team's competitive. You know, probably the Vikings, probably, you know, 2016, 2018 range. Like, Chiefs, I'll beat this drum into the ground. The Chiefs were fine with Alex Smith. Nobody thought yeah. they were a Super Bowl competitor with right. Alex Smith. And that's the best case scenario for Nick Foles, is that he comes in and he's Alex Smith for a couple of years. And it's fine. It's okay point is is that the chiefs did what we're talking about they took a very weird roster situation 
They added a B, B-ish guy at, in Alex Smith at quarterback, who I think it's underrated, but he could run a West Coast, and they just built around him until they, you know, hit the home run of home runs with Patrick Mahomes. Now, of course, teeing yourself up to find the next Patrick Mahomes is something that a lot of teams are going to do, a lot of teams have already tried to do, and a lot of teams are going to fail at in a hurry. But they did it. And, and like you say, winning is almost undervalued. You don't have to try to win the Super Bowl every year. Some teams are just too good. It's okay to say a 10-6 and six season makes us better long-term than 5-11 and 11 and everyone's fired. Everybody likes to talk about the draft picks as if that's helped the Browns in eons. Just because they were able to draft Baker Mayfield doesn't make either Baker or their team any better. That's a massive, talented roster, and if you put them in different uniforms, I bet they win more games. I can't explain it, but... If you put them in a Patriots uniform, Miles Garrett, Baker Mayfield, like all the, all the talent that they have, I just think things would be different. It, like you're saying, regular season success, undervalued. Yeah, no, and I think that, uh, you know, you always want to, again, like as much as, you know, tanking and all that is, is fun for people like me to think about because, I you know, just the idea of starting fresh is, is kind of an entertaining, you know, path. I think that the Alex Smith Chiefs analogy is fair in that, you know, Eric Berry, bad contract. Justin Houston, bad contract. Like, they, they had to, like, really kind of sort of not really restart because they had a lot of other good draft picks. I mean, um, got lucky in some areas, just kind of, you know. But anyway, well, obviously got the luckiest thing of all time. But, um, you know, in, in, like, maybe the greatest quarterback to ever live. But, um, but there is definitely a path where you say, all right, let's just, like, Let's convince this young nucleus that they should be confident in who they are and, and how they play. Let's let them make an, an NFC championship game or an, an NFC divisional round. Um, and then still probably kind of, you know, hit the restart button, try to get this quarterback, probably this draft, maybe the following. You know, all of this is kind of thrown into confusion with what's happening right now. But um, but I would just say the other the, the people need to realize is that that, that is the probably like best case scenario. The, the very not very the worst case scenario and, and sadly in my opinion the more likely scenario is the 2017 Jaguars. I mean, you make an AFC Championship game, which is great, a lot of fun. They almost won that game. Um, obviously, Patriots patriated as as they always do. But and then you basically you you are a literal house of cards. You have an incredibly good defense, but that's not sustainable for a long period of time. Eventually, injuries and age catch up. Um, and you're, you're paying a ton of guys a ton of money, and it's just, it's just not sustainable. And then you either go the route of trying to, you know, what they the, the bigger mistake they made was you give Bortles that second contract. It wasn't a, a, an earth-shattering contract. It was, I don't know, say three years for like $54 million, something like that. Um, but just trying to keep it afloat where, and then what happens is now they're two years later, and they, they tore the entire thing down. And so... I think my thing is the only reason I would say, not, not that it would be good if they were bad this year, but if you can accelerate that timeline because it's forced upon you, it might just make, it, like, a rebuild's coming. I think that it's it's fair for me to like, and the word rebuild, I think, scares people. They think it means, like, literally you've got your entire roster and then in two years you don't recognize a single name on it. No, but it's like you have to replenish you know, let's say, let's say out of the 22 starter spots, like eight of those are going to be new faces. Like that's a rebuild in my opinion, around there, you know, half or close to half. Like well, call it a remodel. It's, it's, sure. it's the same difference. An update. Like, <laughs> we don't have to rip down the house. Like the ideal solution, because I'm right on your same page, is that the house doesn't get torn down. 
but maybe we have to re- remodel the dining room, the whole upstairs. It's going to be different. <laughs> like you're saying, yeah. tons yeah. of change is coming. It's just a yeah. matter of whether, just to pick a name, whether Matt Nagy is going to be the head coach, whether Ryan Pace is going to be the GM, whether uh, uh, Khalil Mack is going to get to see those winning years. Uh, it's That's, I kind of think, what you're getting at, right? That- yeah, totally. No, yeah, exactly. Is, is what... What new? What is the nucleus that that lasts through this? And I think that what kind of what I'm saying honestly is that I, I love Kulimak. I, I think I like Matt Nagy. We'll see how he adjusts from last year to this year. I think again, you bring in the whole new offensive staff, and again, training camp and all that's kind of cut short. But I guess that's one benefit to having the same offensive line and same kind of weapons. Maybe that helps in some way. Um, is that if you do it quicker, because you can you see NFL teams, I mean, the, the 49ers went to, what, a Super Bowl, then an NFC Championship game, then were god-awful for three years, like worst team in the league bad for three years, but then they are back in the Super Bowl. So are, are the Bears going to try to prolong it, like the Jags, where it's like a three-year fizzle, and you go like 7-9, I think the year after the AFC Championship game, then like 5-11, then again, again five, they're going to be awful this year. Um, but now they had... You know, two first-round picks this year. They're going to have, I think, two first-round picks next year as well. So, they, you know, they waited, but now they're going – they're completely bottoming out. The Bears don't have to do that. But if they wait and try to keep paying defensive 30-year-old defensive players, then they're going to have to do that. Mm-hmm. The goal is not to end up like one of those baseball teams that we all have followed at some point in our life where you say, well, they're going to be bad for the next three years minimum it yep. just doesn't have to happen in the nfl a lot of teams kind of tell themselves that it does and the 49ers are weird they got bad so fast in a way that i don't think the bears even could if the bears could find a way to go 2 and 14 this year either we'd have to see minimum eight players on the defense go down or i would tell you to your face that i thought they intentionally did it yeah like there's <laughs> it's the only way that i losing that many games but we, I, while I could talk to you for hours and hours and hours and hours, uh, we do have to wrap up the show at some point. Like you're saying, I would love to see the Bears turn things around, find a direction forward. But as somebody who's not, I don't, I don't ever feel qualified to suggest cappy things. I do my best. I'm right where you are, probably. I just want to sit and watch it happen. And gosh, I would love to see Ryan Pace pull a rabbit out of his hat over the next couple of years. Yeah, I think the only thing we can do now is let's just enjoy 2020 for what it is. Uh, I'll stress about the future at another time. You know, I think when it is the off season, all I'm thinking about is off seasons and and, and roster moves. I just need some football, and I, even though it'll be in the back of my mind, I'll be, it doesn't matter. Let's just let's enjoy some some Sunday football action and forget about everything else. And Brad, where can people find you online? You can find me on Twitter at Brad OTC. Um, I, I am. Um, a contributor over the cap, but uh, there might be some some change in the future potentially. Uh, might be working, uh, putting out some content elsewhere. We'll see. Um, but yeah, you can ask me any questions you want on Twitter. I, I try to get back to as many people as humanly possible. Not just a Bears guy. Uh, I can answer any question related to dollars and cents about anything NFL related. So that's where you can find me. Awesome, Brad. Thanks so much for jumping on. Thank you. And that's about all I've got for you today. Thanks so much for checking the show out, and if you enjoyed it, be sure to rate the podcast on 
Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever other podcast listening service that you are using to listen to this show, as well as often leave a reply or a review just so that we at the Windy City Gridiron Podcasting Network can get a feel for what you like, what you dislike, and all your other thoughts about our plethora of different Bears shows. If you like what I have to say personally, check me out on Twitter at Robert K. Schmitz, that's R-O-B-E-R-T-K-S-C-H-M-I-T-Z, or on my Film Breakdown YouTube channel at Run Pass Opinion. That's all I've got for you today, Bears fans. So until next time, bear down, and thanks so much for bearing with me.